My dear friends in Christ, grace to you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, here's my proposition for the morning. Fearless people are psychopaths. Discuss that amongst yourself for just a moment. I'm not really kidding, though. Um, I'm actually very serious. Fear. Fear, we know, is a hardwired impulse, right? Planted deep in our brains that actually keeps us alive. And we know this. The ability to take stock of threatening situations and then act accordingly is what enabled our earliest ancestors to avoid annihilation. In a world full of dangerous critters, dangerous weather, even more dangerous neighbors. The sensation of being afraid, I think, is what makes us relatively healthy human beings, unless it becomes chronic and incapacitating. But on the other end of that spectrum is a total lack of fear that would seem to me to indicate a person without the ability to weigh things like risk versus reward to chronically and fatally underestimate the true dangers when they present themselves. There's an all-consuming fear on one hand and a total lack thereof on the other are two sides of the same unhealthy psychopathic coin. So, knowing that, how do we then deal with their very human impulse to fear in a way that actually enables us to live, you know? and not stay curled up in a fetal position behind locked doors? Well, I think the answer is courage. Courage. Now, courage is not the same thing as fearlessness. Courage is a very clear-headed acknowledgement of all the things that we might be afraid of, and then making the choice to move forward in spite of the fear, to meet it head-on. A total lack of fear doesn't acknowledge the danger. Courage sees the danger, all of it, and determines that the risk is worth the reward. That's the difference, and it's all the difference. Huh? Courage is simply fear that has said its prayers. Maybe you've heard that before. For an example of how this calculus works itself out in the soul and mind of a human being, I think we have a pretty good example of it in the psalm we just recited this morning, psalm number 27. And I wonder if you notice the internal negotiation that's going on in the author of that psalm as we navigated through it. I'd encourage you to take a look at that psalm later today, open it up, read the whole thing a couple different times. But it begins with this very strong confession, right? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then the psalmist immediately goes on to start listing each and every one of the reasons he really has to be afraid. And there's a lot of them. Evildoers that want to devour his flesh, adversaries and foes, armies coming against him, war rising up around him. It doesn't take much to imagine what he's going through. So many reasons to be afraid. From conflicts of global scale to conflicts at work or on the playground or in the lunchroom or in your home, 
threats of invasion to threats of infection, threats from across the world to threats from across the street to threats from your own traitorous cells that want to mutate into cancers and try to kill you. Then our psalmist meets all of these very real reasons to be afraid with this thing. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Now, whenever we hear those words, to dwell in the house of the Lord, where does our mind immediately go? To Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And remember how that psalm ends? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. And where do we typically hear that psalm most often? Funerals, right. And so our minds are then immediately going to this vision of the house of the Lord being this place, this heaven to which we will go someday after this life, even if the threats should devour us. But I'm here to tell you that in Psalm 27 particularly, that kind of pie in the sky, by and by when we die vision is not what's happening here. When he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, he's talking about this life, this one right now, a very present, very now relationship with God in which he knows that God is immediately present to him in the midst of all the things that are coming against him right now, all the reasons to be afraid. The rest of the psalm is kind of like this teeter-totter of emotion. Up one minute, down the next. Reminding himself of his relationship with a God who is constant, constantly present, while at the same time acknowledging then all of these threats and begging God to give him the courage to meet them. The psalmist is not talking to you in Psalm 27. He's talking to God and to himself. Don't give me up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me. They're breathing out violence. I believe. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That means right now. Right here now. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I belong to Him. I belong to Him. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. The courage that the psalmist seeks, he finds, in this self-talk, reminding him of who he is and whose he is. God is the one who houses him, lives with him, immediately present. God is the one he serves and for whom he waits in the midst of whatever. The psalmist's identity is where the courage to face the fear comes from. He knows who he is. And if you need any further example of how this calculus of courage works, I suppose you don't need to look too much further than Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, who, when asked by Western allies if he maybe shouldn't evacuate Ukraine for his own safety once Putin's forces started the invasion of his country, he responded with that now famous retort, the fight is here. I don't need a ride, I need ammunition, right? Remember that? I need ammunition, not a ride. In a video that he posted shortly thereafter, he said, he said, I'm here. We're not putting down arms. We'll be defending our country because our weapon is truth, and our truth is that this is our land. 
our country, our children, and we will defend all of this. That's it. That's what I wanted to tell you. Glory to Ukraine. Okay. Now, facing down the Russian military machine might look to many like a lost cause, huh? And a pretty good reason to run. And I'm sure that he, along with so many others in his country, are afraid. Along with every other Ukrainian standing their ground, the fear is real. But even more real is the identity to which they cling, you see. The family to which they belong. The home that is theirs. And I've been thinking about all this with regard to Jesus as we meet him in the 13th chapter of Luke's gospel this morning. Some presumably well-meaning Pharisees come to him and they suggest to him that it might not be so imprudent to go ahead and run, get out of town and fast because Herod is on the warpath and he's looking for his head. Hmm. You'll recall that Herod was the Jewish leader of the Jewish people, unlike Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor of the occupied territories of Judea. In other words, Herod is one of Jesus' own people, and he's threatened by Jesus, so he wants him gone. Jesus responded to their advice to leave. Huh? Basically, he said, the fight is here. I don't need a ride, right? He said, go and tell that fox for me. Listen. I'm going to keep doing exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to keep setting people free from everything that binds them. I'm going to keep on healing folks as long as I can keep doing it until I have to meet my destiny in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus is not a man with a death wish. He's not a fearless psychopath, unable or unwilling to see the dangers that are in front of him. If anything, I think he sees them all too clear. He says, eventually I'll be heading to Jerusalem because apparently that's where the truth-tellers are killed. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that stones the prophets and kills those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you wanted nothing to do with it. And then he says, you won't see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I believe that's more than Luke's rather obvious signaling of Jesus' eventual entry into Jerusalem on that day we commemorate as Palm Sunday. I think it's a confession of Jesus' own self-understanding as the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He knows who He is. He knows His identity as God's Word made His flesh. It's an identity that he has managed to hang on to through every reason to abandon it, to let it go for something less. Remember the story last week that we shared about Jesus in the wilderness being tempted? That was the temptation to forget who he was. His relationship with his Father God is the anchor in the storm of every tempter, every Herod or Pilate. In the face of every naysaying religious gatekeeper or traitorous doubting disciple, the anchor, that anchor becomes the ground for courage in the midst of every good 
reason to be afraid. And that gives me some hope. Because you see, I don't know that I can recall a time I've lived through when fear has been more palpable than the times we're living in right now. Stress levels seem to be through the roof. Huh? The ecosystem, its sustainability, nations, neighborhoods, tribes, and churches, all of it seems to be living on a razor's edge right now. We face serious issues as human beings trying to live our lives together on this planet. And fear of how we're failing one another in doing that is reasonably justified. Ignoring it would be psychopathic, not to mention sociopathic. Courage is what's called for. Our source of courage is our baptismal identity into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who himself was able to meet with courage every reason for fear that jumped up in front of him. He told Herod he was going to continue being his true self until his last breath, in every moment, until his moments were no more. It's what we're called to do too. It's what the Spirit of God was given to accomplish in us. May it be so. Amen.